everybody. Welcome to A Narrative Live. We haven't done this for a few days, so we're glad to be back with you. Eric Garland is here on a Thursday night. Eric, you're not at your usual location, but uh, how are you tonight? It was a mute button. I was extra classified. It was so ah. classified that I had to keep the mute button on. Ah, yes, that happens. The, the old mute classification thing. Yes, that happens from time to time. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I know what you're talking about. We don't reveal sources and methods here, but I gotcha. I know. <laughs> Such as making sure. <laughs> I think that's some NSA secrets there. That's, yeah, that's I don't have any NSA secrets. Everyone should know that. But uh, we have a lot of interesting stuff to talk about today. That hearing today blew my mind. I mean, it's not that I didn't know any of that stuff. I knew all of that stuff. But seeing it, you know, in the way we saw it and being presented in the way we saw it with each of those DOJ officials, one after the other, just explaining exactly what the president did and the stupid things he believed and these internet theories and conspiracy theories that he was spouting. This man was, you know, basically running the country based on what he was reading on the chat rooms of Chant 4 or something. I mean, it's just like so outrageous that he was, you know, that's where he was getting information from about these Italian spies or Italian spy satellites and and God knows what else he was talking about today. We'll run through it all. But it's quite amazing to imagine now, you know, now that we have decent and impressive leadership in the White House, it's easy to forget how crazy those times were. And they were indeed as crazy as that. We were on the very, very precipice of the end of democracy. As close as we've ever come and as close as we ever want to get. So, yeah. yes. Now, concurrently, and you've been great on your Twitter feed today, because concurrently with today's hearings, there have been all sorts of actions by the DOJ. You know, all sorts of, you know, warrants being issued, things being seized, phones being seized, you name it, around the country, which seemed to dovetail with what was going on in today's January the 6th hearing. So is there some sort of coordination, choreography, symmetry, who knows? Certainly looks a little like that. But tell us a little bit about what, what's going on in terms of the DOJ now taking up this additional action, which, you know, people had said maybe they hadn't wanted to take action, maybe they weren't going to. But here they are, as it turns out timed with the hearings, taking uh, some action today? Well, I mean, we had three different heads of uh, the Republican Party in uh, three states. I believe it was Georgia, Nevada, and God, what the third one? Arizona? Was there um, Arizona? There was an Arizona one, for sure. Might have been Arizona, yeah. The, the guy from Missouri, the former head of the GOP from Missouri, already got I got letters from the Jan 6 committee for like the straight direct trees and this is the indirect off the bank shot treason so you know we're at a law enforcement action authorized by a court has yeah. been uh, so this is a judge that this is not just uh, this is not just the DOJ freelancing and saying hey we're going to go and issue a little search warrant on Jeffrey Clark's home or stuff like that this is the judge saying yeah go ahead search Jeffrey Clark's home and get as much information as you can from what you gather from there, because he's probably involved in some sort of crime. I mean, that's how you read these kinds of things. I don't know. I'm not, a, I'm not as much of an expert about them as you. Is that accurate? Well, so I think a real difference here is like you're not doing the uh, just the special agents and the analysts working through old files and maybe calling in witnesses, uh, you know, to interview them at a federal building, which is part of an investigation. But usually you have done some pen registers, tap traces. You figured out who's talking to whom. And when you go and roll a van, packets come. And they are there to lay hands on the device itself. They have an idea of what's on that device. Right. Right. They're not just grabbing a device. They know it's there. 
They just that would see, be a fishing expedition. Yeah, yeah. We don't do fishing expeditions. We yeah. just go, you know, when you actually need the evidence, you already know what's what you're expecting to see on that. So that's likely, I mean, it feels that's what's going on. I mean, it's certainly anyone who thought the DOJ was not acting, you were wrong. Um, the DOJ is in fact acting and it seems to be acting in concert with the hearings that are taking place on Capitol Hill, which is fascinating, which means there's not only choreography and coordination there. It means that what they were trying to do was make sure that the public understands exactly why they're doing what they're doing. So, you know, not just acting just to act, but to make sure that everyone understands that when they act, these are the reasons. And these hearings have been so artfully produced and so well presented that it's actually, um, you know, it's hard to escape the reality that uh, the president, the former president of the United States was just a crook and a serious one who was willing to tank the entire democracy, to tank the entire constitution, do whatever he needed to, to stay in power and used every lever he could, even and especially illegal levers, you know, which is why we come back, you know, we started this whole process of looking at this uh, hub and spoke conspiracy idea where, you know, there is all these minor conspiracies, not minor, all these major conspiracies, in fact, and they all tie into each other, but they also tie in to Donald Trump as the ringleader of the conspiracy. And I think they've really laid this out well in the last few hearings. Today was number five, but we sure got a good understanding of what's been going on in terms of the big lie conspiracy. That was probably the second hearing that they did. We heard about the DOJ conspiracy today. That was what we'll talk about for the rest of the show. We'll show you some clips from that. This is the attempt to subvert the Department of Justice to corrupt the Department of Justice and to install a new attorney general who would do the bidding of the president of the United States in terms of keeping him in power. We also had the fake electors conspiracy that was last Tuesday's hearings. That was really good. I mean, we didn't get a chance to be on the air after that, but that was a very compelling hearing. Uh, and then we still haven't heard a lot about the grifting. That's I still am looking forward to more of that because I think there's some more of that coming our way. And then the Pence uh, conspiracy, we spoke about that, how the, our Vice President Pence was pressured into overturning the electors vote on January the 6th. And then the two seditious conspiracies, which we spoke about in the first uh, January the 6th hearing, but which we also know about from the DOJ indictments. And you are really able to see in this, that this is a whole massive hub and spoke conspiracy. And each one of these leads into the other. You know, the one doesn't exist without the other, and none of them exist without a ringleader or a Donald Trump in the middle saying, go do all these things. You know, the whole thing had to do with keeping him in power. Mm. And uh, it's pretty clear that this is not, well, if you, we, you know, we're at the 50th anniversary of Watergate, right? Yeah. And there was this question of what did the president know and when did he know it? Because while they claimed it was a third rate burglary and there were some rogue agents, well, it turns out that they did discuss it at the White House and it was not after the uh, revelation of tapes mm. that um, Nixon was done not long after that. Yeah. Nixon wasn't the ringleader. He wasn't the kingpin in a RICO conspiracy. Right. Much it's less one. I mean, there was one to kind of screw over his opponents, and there may have been a lot of facts uh, involved in that that we don't understand and might not for another 50 years. Mm. Who knows? Uh, you know, anything that has intelligence to do with it. And in a lot of ways, I think we're still living through a lot of the geopolitical tensions of that moment, even though it's been 50 years. So maybe we'll learn the story from what of the story of Watergate. It's comparatively very, very limited compared to, you know, what we've got going on here. Um, but one thing's for certain, if you're going to compare Nixon, who was impeached and had to resign and would have been indicted, there were draft indictments ready to go if he didn't. Right. Um, 
pump or the center of this. And what would, you know, if you just changed big lie, DOJ, fake electors, grift, pence, seditious conspiracy for just narcotics, 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 loan sharking, human trafficking, you know, arms dealing, trafficking, <laughs> yeah, arms dealing, it would be a classic Title 18, Chapter 96 racketeering case. Yep. And he'd be the king. Yeah, that's what it looks like. I mean, it's, and he talks to any prosecutor about this, and this is what they'll tell you that they've been building. And of course, this is where they're going. These are nervous times for the Trump familia because, uh, you know, justice is coming. Mm-hmm. Justice looks like it's coming. I mean, there's no way to look at this any other way. Otherwise, it might have been told no charges would have been laid, but this is not what's uh, seeming to happen. I mean, they, clearly they're working their way through the GOP right now, especially on the state level. There was a lot of good evidence today about the Republican congressmen and senators involved in this as well. So that's coming soon. And you just know that this. Bro. Yeah. Bro, justice isn't just coming. <laughs> justice showed up for coffee at Jeffrey Clark's house in Lorton, Virginia, in a bunch of FBI vans yeah. yesterday morning. So we're, this is, we're getting beyond the. Forecasting, you know, my business is forecasting, and yeah. that means intuiting signals that not everyone is tracking the same way, and then telling them what the implications are. And it can be a loveless, thankless task because <laughs> it's not happened yet. And should I really be worried about that, or is that really an opportunity yet? Uh, that's the the art of this. Now, what's going on with Trump stuff has been any dossier that I ever dealt with times hundred. Times a thousand because it's the fate of the country, right? Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of people who have lost hope. And there's certainly a lot of trolls and bots online that every time there's an opportunity to knock people down and add some despair to a conversation, certainly mm-hmm. get on there and, and do that to demoralize. And it's like, well, when is something going to happen? Yeah. Well, now we're, you know, the guys get your door in. <laughs> That's kind of, I don't know what else anyone's looking for, but. That's the precursor. Well, just ask yourself mm. if this kick your door in tomorrow. Yeah. Because of would you think it's going well? You would think that there's something coming. You'd think that the uh, Department of Justice has an interest in you. You know, speaking of Jeffrey Clark, we should tell people who he is. You know, he was a pretty unknown environmental attorney who Donald Trump somehow found through uh, Scott Perry, I believe. Kirkland Ellis, I believe. Sorry, sorry. He's Kirkland and Ellis guy. Is he a Kirkland Ellis? Oh, there you go. I didn't realize it was Kirkland and Ellis. That's interesting. That that links him directly to Barr and a few other well-known operative slash lawyers that we've covered in the years here. But Clark is, you know, he was just selected, I guess, to be the guy who could maybe be the attorney general. And it's because the current attorney generals that replaced Bill Barr, uh, Jeffrey Rosen, and uh, his deputy Donahue, they weren't going to do what Donald Trump said that he wanted them to do. And so it all came down to this January the 3rd meeting. And I want to play a clip from today's show where, you know, poor Mr. Clark, I'm not saying poor because really he's a traitor, but on the other hand, there he is trying to argue his way to being the attorney general in front of all these uh, people who are not having it for a second. Let's take a listen to this from today's hearing. Sort of set things straight with this defective election and that he could do it. And um, he had the... The intelligence and the will and the desire to pursue these matters in the way that the president thought most appropriate. And he was making a pitch, and every time he'd get clobbered over the head, 
he would like say like you know like a call to order you know the president's your decision you get the chance to make this decision and you know you've heard everybody and you can make your determination and then we jump back in and you know really clobber him um i made the point that jeff clark is not even competent to serve as the attorney general he's never been a criminal attorney he's never conducted a criminal investigation in his life he's never been in front of a grand jury much less a trial jury um and he kind of retorted by saying, well, I've done a lot of very complicated appeals and civil litigation, environmental litigation and things like that. And I said, that's right. You're an environmental lawyer. How about you go back to your office and we'll call you when there's an oil spill. And uh, Pat Cipollone weighed in at one point, I remember saying, you know, that letter that this guy wants to send, that letter is a murder-suicide pact. It's going to damage everyone who touches it. And we should have nothing to do with that letter. I don't ever want to see that letter again. And so we went along those lines. I thought Jeff's proposal, Clark's proposal, was nuts. I mean, this guy said at a certain point, you know, listen, the best I can tell is the only thing you know about environmental and elections challenges is they both start with E. And based on your answer tonight, I'm not even certain you know that. The president said, suppose I do this, suppose I replace him, Jeff Rosen, with him, Jeff Clark. What do you do? Well, we know these men before us did the right thing. But think about what happens if these justice officials make a different decision. What happens if they bow to the pressure? What would that do to us as a democracy, as a nation? So we'll leave it there because we'll pick up the rest of it in a minute there. But uh, quite a meeting, quite a meeting. They all seem quite smarmy. I mean, these are not the kind of lawyers you'd want to hang out with. Really, they're not the kind of people you'd want to hang out with at all. But, they're, you know, the smarmy, backbiting environment, it really, it sort of fills in a little bit of the color of that moment uh, on January the 3rd when the president was about to do something crazy. The president was about to replace the attorney general with someone who had no reason to be an attorney general with a yes man. Okay. So, you know, look, I, yes. Well, that's true. I just want to comment on guys like Eric Hirschman, who was a partner for 24 years at Kasowitz, Benson Torres, Friedman, which was one of Trump's law firms, mm -hmm. a law firm that I believe represented Donald Trump did, you know, uh, most of uh, very interesting bankruptcies in, in New York. Yep. And Trump took one of their partners, Friedman, and ambassador to Israel um, yep. when he came in. So it's it's kind of funny. The uh, I appreciate what they're doing, throwing these guys like Jeff Clark, Jeffrey Bosher Clark, who was you know it represented the U.S. Chamber of Commerce mm -hmm. on carbon emission litigation um, against the U.S. government, and also um, I believe represented British Petroleum in the, uh, the the Deepwater Horizon spill. So basically, he's a petroleum lawyer. Yeah, and one of the most prominent you know, uh, firms that's kind of in the foreign agent category that Bill Barr was part of and uh, rep have represented various Russian entities, et cetera, and so on. And it's just interesting. Hirschman worked for Trump the entire year when they were doing the tear gassing of people in Lafayette Square and walking up with the Bible upside down and then the federal no-name paintball police uh, being dispatched. Hirschman didn't say a word. Mm -hmm. Those guys, they were all in. And it's just at this last, I mean, and look, really, you know, you did have time to turn back until this coup d'etat thing. I mean, it really was the last and very bad thing. There's no question. Yeah. So I'm, and I'm glad you're coming out and speaking. But some of it's a little rich with these guys. Like, well, I never. 
But there's a whole bunch of folks who are testifying, and I think it's great. And I think it's great that they can get the, the point across to people. But and I'm glad they're doing so because they are the reason Trump made it this far. Yeah, I mean that's true. What you're saying is absolutely true. He had a lot of enablers, and it includes Bill Barr. It includes uh, this guy that you're talking about. But you know, it is nice that they're at least testifying at the end here. But it doesn't excuse at all what they've done before. I mean, this was the most illegitimate presidency ever. And for four years, they raped and pillaged America. And here we are at the very last minute when it was just getting too much rape and too much pillaging that they couldn't take that anymore, that they decided to stop. You know, I mean, and they knew these guys were going to get them all thrown in prison. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, that's like subtext of everything he says. Is, you know, we talked about that Georgia letter that, that they're referring to in that clip. That they, when he said that letter is going to get us all thrown in jail, that's what that was about. You know, they don't want to get thrown in jail because they knew they'd cross the line and the president was going to cross the line. So you're absolutely right. Uh, they don't get to, uh, to wear any great, great American hero badges, but it is kind of good color because, you know, it just sounds like a bunch of mob lawyers, really. I mean, these are mob lawyers basically talking to Don Ooh. who's basically trying to, you know, commit an extraordinary crime. And they're even thinking it's too much. Let's pick up some of this. So this is when uh, the uh, Chairman know. Thompson interviews the acting attorney general, Time Rosen, about what led up to that meeting. And then uh, we'll pick it up after that. How often did President Trump contact you or the department to push allegations of election fraud? So between December 23rd and January 3rd, the president either called me or met with me virtually every day, with one or two exceptions, like Christmas Day. Um, and before that, because uh, I had been announced that I would become the acting attorney general before the date I actually did, the president had asked that uh, Rich Donahue and I go over and meet with him, I believe, on December 15th as well. So after you had some of these meetings and conversations with the president, um, what things uh, did the president raise with you? So, so the common element of all of this was the president uh, expressing his dissatisfaction that the Justice Department, in his view, had not done enough to uh, investigate election fraud. But at different junctures, uh, other topics came up at different uh, uh, intervals. So at, at one point, he had raised the question of having a special counsel for election fraud. Uh, at a number of points, he raised uh, requests that I meet with his uh, campaign counsel, Mr. Giuliani. At one point, he raised the um, whether the Justice Department would file a lawsuit in the Supreme Court. At, at uh, a couple of junctures, there were questions about making public statements or about holding a press conference. Uh, uh, one of the later junctures uh, was this issue of sending a letter to state legislatures uh, in Georgia or other states. And um, so there were different things raised at different uh, parts of, uh, or different intervals, with the common theme being his dissatisfaction about what the Justice Department had done to uh, investigate election fraud. I will say that the Justice Department uh, declined all of those requests that I was just uh, referencing because we did not think that they were appropriate based on the facts and the law as we uh, understood them. 
Thank you. So, Mr. Donahue, on December 15th, the day after Attorney General Barr announced his res resignation, the president summoned you and Mr. Rosen to the White House. At this meeting with the president, what did he want to discuss? There were a number of topics of discussion that day, Mr. Chairman. Um, much of the conversation focused on a report that had been recently released relating to Antrim County in Michigan. I believe on December 13th, an organization called the Allied Security Group um, issued a report that alleged that the Dominion voting machines in that county had a 68% error rate. Um, the report was widely covered in the media. We were aware of it. Um, we obtained a copy of it on the 14th of December, the day prior. Uh, we circulated to the U.S. attorneys in Michigan for their awareness. And uh, we had a number of discussions internally, but the, the conversation with the president on that day, the 15th, was largely focused on that. Um, and he was essentially saying, have you seen this report? He was adamant that the report must be accurate, that it proved that the election was defective, that he, in fact, won the election, and the department should be using that report to uh, basically um, tell the American people that the results were not trustworthy. And he went on to other theories as well, but the bulk of that conversation on December 15th focused on Antrim County, Michigan, and the ASOG report. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Engel, we know that Attorney General Barr announced on December 1st, 2020, that the Department of Justice had found no evidence of widespread fraud that could have changed the outcome of the election. So from December 1st, 2020 until today, as you sit here, have you ever doubted that top line conclusion? No, I've, I've never had any reason to doubt Attorney General Barr's conclusion. Let's leave it there. I mean, it's interesting because that is so important. Of course, they investigated everything. There was nothing there. There was no crime, no fraud that they could find. But the president on every day, it seemed every day, the guy said every day, was in touch with him almost daily to pressure them into finding the fraud that didn't exist. You know, that is, uh, he's involved in a major crime. You can't say that he's periphery to this. You can't say that he's, an, you know, just a bystander or a witness. He is actively involved in corrupting the Department of Justice in order to subvert this election. It's a major crime. Yeah, it's bad. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's about as bad as you can get. I mean, I mean maybe it's, uh, you know, it's akin to this, you mentioned Nixon, maybe it's a Saturday Night Massacre. Maybe it's something like that. But it's, I can't think of another period in American history, which is, quite come down to this, which has been, you know, as dramatic as this. I mean, it fired some convenient, you know, personnel at DOJ. He didn't yeah. find people to conspire with directly to overthrow the U.S. government. There's, there's nothing comparable. There's no comparison, yeah. except that it happened to the DOJ. I mean, that's one commonality, which uh, you can't escape. But this is, uh, you know, these guys are very principled guys. And I had some doubts at the time when Jeffrey Rosen was named as Barr's replacement. I didn't think he was going to be as uh, loyal to the American team as you'd imagine. But uh, it turns out he was okay. It turns out he was a good guy at the end of the day. Well, it turns out, you know, he'd like to do us a solid, you know, rather than go to all the prison. Right. <laughs> I mean, Mr. You there was brought up from the Eastern District of New York as a prosecutor in July of 2020. Uh, that's a very interesting date to come on board with these guys. So yeah, as yeah. a justice official, you've had four solid years of Trump's approach to things. So yeah. now you're I'm not quite sure why. Then now you're taking the job just as the 
they're deploying federal police officers, which really isn't a thing. Irregulars with no name tags, and there's helicopters being deployed with you know medical yeah. insignia on them against the uh, Geneva Convention. You know, it's great to again, it's great to hear these stories. It's great to hear from the inside. You know, definitively that Trump has lost. Actually, this is how we got to compare this to Nixon. This is how we got rid of Nixon. Yeah. At the end, once them Trump, once the tapes came out, and the American people heard, oh wait. You knew about this. Now, and then the question was, what did the president know? And when did he know it? And that was a result of those tapes having been preserved. And he hid and a hid bunch of them, 12 minutes of them, whatever it was. Yeah, you know. Oh, yeah. The missing time and all yeah. that. It's like, they okay, covered so up. Now obstruction. okay, yeah. now there's something here. Yeah. And his, his popularity dropped to 17%. And then he on the helicopter. And, and I think we've talked about this in prior episodes. Who told him he had to go? George Herbert Walker Bush. You know what? Someone disputed that. Someone on the line the other day said it wasn't uh, Bush. It was Goldwater. But I don't know. I think I have to look it up. Someone said to me it was Goldwater. And I uh, I never bothered to look up afterwards to figure out which one it was. But maybe we'll do that in the next little clip here. But, you know, uh, I'm sure Herbert Walker Bush had a lot to do with with that whole situation, considering his position at the time. I want to talk about these dudes. I mean, this little collection of congressmen and senators, these, this collection of the Freedom Caucus, whatever they are. I mean, they came up on Tinder. (laughs) Right. Literally they found them on Tinder and some escort site. Right. Isn't that just what you said last week? I mean, Uh, yeah. One of them anyhow. Yeah. Lauren Bobart. This brand new tape of Lauren Bobart. Oh my God. I'm going to just play that tomorrow on the after show. She is some, 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 Prize cookie. That's all I can say. We'll, we'll play it tomorrow and on the show because I got the tape today. But uh, let's do this instead of playing that tape. Let's uh, focus on the hearing. And they paid a lot of special attention to these congressmen, especially the ones that were out there like Biggs and Gosar and uh, and others who were out there, you know, pushing the big lie, pushing the fraud. Uh, and these collection of clips that they've managed to amass starts off with Maria Bartiromo of Fox Business News, but it continues into these congressmen. It's worthy of your time. So let's take another look at that from, from today's hearing. Serious charges here. Shouldn't this be something that the FBI is investigating? Are they? Missing in is the DOJ investigating? Missing in action. Can't tell you where they are. Republican congressman echoed the president just two days later. They wrote a letter to Attorney General Barr laying into the Justice Department for a, quote, shocking lack of action in investigating the claims of election fraud. That same day, Attorney General Barr stated publicly that President Trump's claims had no merit. Ignoring the top law enforcement officer in the country, Republican congressmen amplified the stolen election message to the American public. Let's listen. And so there's widespread evidence of fraud because people haven't done their jobs. Durham... And Barr will deserve a big notation in history when it's written of the rise and fall of the United States. If they don't clean up this mess, clean up the fraud, do your jobs and save this little experiment in self-government. Again, I join my colleagues in calling on Attorney General Barr to immediately let us know what he's doing. We're already working on on challenging the certified uh, uh, electors. And what about the courts? How pathetic are the courts? 
January 6th. I'm joining with the fighters in the Congress, and we are going to object to electors from states that didn't run clean elections. Democracy is left undefended if we accept the result of a stolen election without fighting with every bit of vigor we can muster. The ultimate date of significance is January 6th. This is how the process works. The ultimate arbiter here, the ultimate check and balance is the United States Congress. And when something is done in an unconstitutional fashion, which happened in several of these states, we have a duty to step forward and have this debate and have this vote on the 6th of January. Today is the day American patrons start taking down names and kicking ass. She's on fire there. She really was serious about where the DOJ is. I mean, what is Maria Bartiromo's problem? Because I used to know. Why is she that? Why is she so angry? Who is paying her to make her be so angry? She used to be this incredibly talented business reporter. People loved waking up to to her commentary or seeing her in the evenings. And now she's become a partisan hack, the the likes of which you can't believe. I mean, you know, it's just a shame to see all these so-called journalists who used to be journalists are falling to this trap of um, right-wing propaganda of these conspiracy theories and then perpetuating them just so just they can get an interview with Donald Trump. I mean, pathetic. And then the congressman. It's not an industry I know very well. Well, (laughs) it's very similar to the political industry. So it's the same kind of people falling there and it's a very political industry. But, you know, Maria had a great reputation and now it's tarnished completely. Look what happened to her. She's been the source of this, all this false bullshit that uh, Fox Business News has been throwing out there on a regular basis on behalf of Donald Trump, along with uh, Judge Pirro. And now you've got, you know, the, these people are not coming back to any career in the future. Once this is all trash, the whole of Fox News, you know, you just, these people have got nothing left. I hope they've got nothing left. I hope they go down with all of this. But back to the Freedom Caucus, because back to the uh, those exciting uh, senators and congressmen who, who back this. I mean, they also seem to me like they played a very integral role in pushing this, that you can't just say that they were just being politicians backing the president's position. You have to believe that they knew they were pushing a lie. Yeah, of course they did. I mean, this wasn't, you know, they, they know, they've always known. <laughs> That's why they keep having to gerrymander. Mm-hmm. I mean, if they had enough votes to win stuff fair and square, they wouldn't have to gerrymander the thing within a milliliter of every last voter in even then. I mean, they wouldn't have to, you know, do all the the ballot uh, voter fraud initiatives that they have to. I mean, they know. They know. This is a very cynical thing. And, you know, I think what alarmed some of the true believers in the administration there was like, you know, we're going to come out. We're not just going to insinuate that we lost because somebody else cheated, which can kind of perpetuate the whole victim thing. And then, you know, you make a game like that, that you never intend to have, you know, before a court of law, you never intend for it to go through the appearance system and end up at the Supreme Court, you know, then you've got a mate. You just say, well, you know, they give uh, a candy bar to homeless people. That's how these people get elected. It's not that my brilliant ideas aren't as popular as someone else's, which is, you know, you might have to take an ego hit on that. Mm. You know, so those cheap allegations are a fun way to get around that and just go, oh, and, you know, we're the parties. No matter how aggressive we are, we're mm. always the aggrieved. We're yeah. always the, the victims here. Yeah. Until you decide you're going to have a mob attack Congress 
And then you're going to, you know, have this legal process with these, you know, forged documents and try and jam it through the court system mm. for real. And that is where, you know, the AM radio horse shit became a thing they actually tried. And I think mm. that's what really scared the guys who are, you know, uh, cynical and nasty to be almost certain, but, you know, not dumb. And they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa we will go to prison if we try that. One thing ago, uh, Obama's really from Tajikistan. He's not really even American. Mm. And, uh, you know, they just cheated anyhow. We, you know, we need to keep people uh, not voting as much. I mean, you know, without yeah. five forms of ID or whatever. It's another thing when you go, no, 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 count it all up, add everything up. You'll find that we won. They actually lost. And that's why we need to kill a bunch of people. Mm. That last bit is a lot more serious yeah because it can be held to you know scrutiny mm. that's what you know it's really fun for a guy like trump you know who's got a lot of money or has by way of laundering not by way of success the way you know successful business people do but has enough to start litigations that most people afford or it's very uh, you know erosive to your to your financial well-being and so you set a lot of court it's another thing when you're talking about with the federal government and you're going to call a bunch of facts up before um, <laughs> you're going to call these facts up and put them to the scrutiny of a fact-finding court. Mm. Well, courts in this that, case, I mean, and a, and a congressional committee. I mean, this is, this is a lot of judges are looking at all these cases and uh, a lot of eyes, a lot of legal eyes. They're all coming up to the same agreement. It's not, uh, you know. Large scale conspiracy certainly is what exactly what it is. Now, these uh, people, you know, are probably going to survive maybe some of them into the next elections. Some of them will not. But, you know, the idea of this freedom front, this idea of this right wing extreme uh, Republican element that has taken over the GOP, that has to end. And this is what today's hearing was really about. Today's hearing, as all five hearings have been, have been to tell the red states in particular, to tell Republicans in particular, that this is not tenable, that you know, the actual actions of their leader and his co-conspirators here are not tenable. And there's no way to continue this. I mean, there's no path in which we can continue to have any form of this extremist right-wing uh, Republican element running the GOP. We need a GOP that's actually strong and powerful that can compete against the Democratic Party so we can have a strong and powerful democracy, you know, the way it's meant to work. Sure. We're not getting into Absolutely. these guys. You know, gaslighting is not going to yeah, win. I mean, yeah, and we can't have anybody, you know, this is why, you know, with, with the role of hostile intelligence services has not been fully explicated here, but we have to assume that it's something they like because that we would hobble us because, mm -hmm. you know, America, you, even if their plan had, quote, succeeded, uh, you know, the resistance within the United States uh, from other elements, you know, their fat paintball league that they had going there as the tip of the spear. Not the only guys with guns. They're not the only people that have ever sworn or sworn oaths that they intend to keep. Yeah, and you know, but that would have been a huge waste of this country's time and blood and treasure. Uh, I'm glad you, you mentioned know, for a seven of the war. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the the foreign intelligence services because Ron Johnson's involvement the other day in delivering this. Uh, this whatever letter, I don't know what it is, a letter of fake lectures to Pence. That to me is just plain old Kremlin meddling in America again. I mean, we know Ron Johnson is the guy who likes to spend July 4th uh, visiting 
you know, to the Kremlin. He, he likes to do that kind of stuff. Very pro-Putin, very pro-Kremlin on almost everything else. It's a red flag for me, as I've pointed out many, many times in our investigation here. Russia is all over this thing. Russia is not just in the, you know, in behind the scenes and hiding. We found at least six or seven uh, operatives, I should say, who were involved in this all of Russian sure. alliance. And uh, and certainly now Ron Johnson's involvement, uh, it's, it's certainly beginning to look to me like the, you know, we still are not finished 2016. We're still uh, prosecuting 2016. And this is just another chapter in all of that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the even if the foreign services weren't necessarily pushing all the buttons, we know they got buttons they could push and no doubt did. Mm. And yes, if it involved Ron Johnson, we know that he was working with Andrei Dirkach in Ukraine and, uh, you know, to push stories about uh, the current president of the United States that they were going to try and, you know, spread around for the 2020 election, uh, you know, which kind of puts him in the uh, co-conspirator Russian intelligence category mm-hmm. now, doesn't it? Yeah. And, and he's surprised that he was also involved with the overthrow yep. uh, attempt. I mean, treason is treason, you know, treason is treason. Yeah. yeah good, we got to not, not do that. We got to stop this. It's not a good look. It's not a good look. It's actually cost America four years of potential here. And, you know, it's been dragged us into this mud for way too long. And, you know, people need to realize how damaging these operatives and these operations have been to American politics. And we need to, we need to guard against them so carefully. You know, I bet you all these politicians think, well, I'll just take a hundred thousand here, a hundred thousand there, whatever. You know what? All those hundred thousands add up and you land up selling out your country at the end of the day. Just the reality of the thing. One last clip from tonight's uh, hearing, today's hearing, because it was really interesting, because they basically go through with the uh, former acting attorney general and the deputy attorney general, acting attorney general, how all these theories, all these crazy theories that Trump had about how the uh, vote was stolen from him. And you just got to listen to this because, you know, when you hear it laid out like this, it's just so clear how nuts the guy is, how absolutely nuts he is and how much he was basically just stealing stuff off the internet turning it into real allegations, fraud allegations, and then perpetuating this big fraud and this big lie. Let's take a listen. And so that was not something that was appropriate to do. There would be no factual basis to seize machines. Mr. Donahue, can I, you... I don't think there was legal authority either. Yeah, Mr. Donahue, can you explain what the uh, president did uh, after he was told that the Justice Department would not seize voting machines? The president was very agitated by the acting attorney general's response um, and uh, to the extent that uh, machines and, and the technology was being discussed, the acting attorney general said that the uh, DHS, Department of Homeland Security, has expertise in machines um, and certifying them and making sure that the states are operating them properly. And since DHS had been mentioned, the president yelled out, to his secretary, get Ken Cuccinelli on the phone. Um, And she did in very short order. Mr. Cuccinelli was on the phone. He was the number two at DHS at the time. I was on the speakerphone and the president essentially said, Ken, I'm sitting here with the acting attorney general. He just told me it's your job to seize machines and you're not doing your job. And Mr. Cuccinelli responded. Mr. Rosa, did you ever tell the president that the Department of Homeland Security could seize voting machines? No, certainly not. Mr. Donahue, during this meeting, did the president tell you that he would remove you and Mr. Rosen because you weren't declaring there was election fraud? 
Toward the end of the meeting, um, the president, again, was getting very agitated. And uh, he said, people tell me I should just get rid of both of you. I should just remove you and um, make a change in the leadership, put Jeff Clark in. Maybe something will finally get done. Um, and I responded, as I think I had earlier in the December uh, 27th call, Mr. President, you should have the leadership that you want. But understand, the United States Justice Department functions on facts, evidence, and law. And those are not going to change. So you can have whatever leadership you want, but the department's position is not going to change. The president's White House counsel, Pat Cipollone, was also present. Do you remember what his position was? Pat was very supportive. Uh, Pat Cipollone, throughout these conversations, was extremely supportive of the Justice Department. He was consistent. Um, I think he had an impossible job at that point, but he did it well, and he always sided with the Justice Department in these discussions. So let's pause for a second. It's New Year's Eve. President Trump is talking about seizing voting machines and making the same demands that had already been shot down by former Attorney General Barr on at least three occasions and by Mr. Rosen and Mr. Donahue on multiple other occasions. Claim after claim knocked down, but the president didn't care. The next day, Chief of Staff Mark Meadows sent a flurry of emails to you, Mr. Rosen, uh, asking that the department look into a new set of allegations. Uh, we're going to put those emails here on the screen. Here we see three requests made on January 1st. One email is a request from Mr. Meadows to you, Mr. Rosen, to send Jeff Clark to Fulton County. Uh, what, did you, what did you do with this request? <coughs> Well, really, really nothing. Certainly didn't send Mr. Clark to Fulton County, but that email was the first corroboration I had seen uh, of Mr. Clark had told me at that point that the president was considering making the change by Monday, uh, January 4th. So Mr. Meadows' email was something of a corroboration that there were discussions going on that I had been, uh, not been informed about by Mr. Clark or anybody else. Interesting. The second request uh, that you have is to have the Department of Justice lawyers investigate allegations of fraud related to New Mexico. Mr. Rosen, did you have concern about these emails? Y yes. Uh, uh, really two concerns about that one. One was that it was coming from a, a campaign or political party. And it was really not our role to function as, as uh, uh, you know, an arm of any campaign for any party or any campaign. That wasn't our role. Uh, and that's part of why I had been unwilling to meet with Mr. Giuliani or any of the, the campaign uh, people before. And the other part was, it was another one of these ones where lots of work had already been done. And I thought it was a rehash of things that had been debunked previously. So the final email here included a completely baseless conspiracy theory that an Italian defense contractor uploaded software to a satellite that switched votes from Trump to Biden. The select committee investigation found that this wild, baseless conspiracy theory made it from the recesses of the Internet to the highest echelons of our government. On December 31st, Mr. Meadows received this Internet conspiracy theory from Representative Perry. On the screen now is the text that Representative Perry sent to Mr. Meadows, copying a YouTube link with the message, quote, why can't we just work with the Italian government? The next day, the president's chief of staff 
sent the YouTube link to Mr. Rosen, who forwarded it to Mr. Donahue. Mr. Donahue, did you watch this video? I did, Congressman. How long was the video? Approximately 20 minutes. Let's just take a look at a excerpt of that video, if we may. What's being said out of Rome, out of Italy, is that this was done in the U.S. Embassy. That there was a certain State Department guy whose name I don't know uh, yet. I guess this is probably going to come out in Italy at some point. And he was the mastermind, not the mastermind, but the, um, but the, anyway, the guy running the operation of changing the votes. And that he was doing this in conjunction with some support from MI6, the CIA, and this Leonardo group. Mr. Donahue, what was your reaction when you watched that entire 20-minute video? I emailed the acting attorney general, uh, and I said pure insanity, which was my impression of the video, which was patently absurd. Mr. Rosen, you were asked by Mr. Meadows uh, to meet with Mr. Johnson, who is the person in that video. What was your reaction to that request? <laughs> so uh, ordinarily, I'd get an email like this and there was no phone call. It would just you know, come over the transom. But this one, he, he called me, uh, Mr. Meadows, and asked me to meet with Mr. Johnson. Uh, and I told him this whole thing about Italy had been debunked. And that should be the end of that. And I certainly wasn't going to meet with, with this person. And he initially seemed to accept that. Uh, he, uh, he said, you know, well, why, why won't you meet with him? I said, because if, if he has real evidence, which this video doesn't show, he can walk into an FBI field office anywhere in the United States. There's 55 of them. Uh, and he said, OK. But then he called me, me back uh, a few minutes later and complained and said, um, I didn't tell you, but uh, this, this fellow Johnson is working with Rudy Giuliani, and Mr. Giuliani is really offended that you think they have to go to an FBI field office. That's insulting. So couldn't, couldn't you just have the FBI or, or, or you meet with these guys? And by then I was uh, somewhat agitated uh, and told them that there was no way on earth that I was going to do that. Uh, I wasn't going to meet with Mr. Johnson. I certainly wasn't going to meet with Mr. Giuliani. I'd made that clear repeatedly and said, that's, that's the end of that. You know, don't, don't raise this with me again. And so uh, because Mr. Donahue and I had been in exchanging our uh, uh, views about this, I think it was yeah, 7.13 on a Friday night of New Year's Day, uh, had run out of patience. And I sent the, the email that you're, you're talking about where uh, <coughs> I, I made pretty clear that I had no interest in doing anything further with this. Just to button this up, Mr. Donahue, did you receive a follow-up call from a Department of Defense official about this conspiracy? I did. I believe it was that same day. Yeah. Can you give a details on that at all? I received a telephone call from uh, Cash Patel, who I know was a DOD official at that time, worked for, um, I believe, Ac Acting Secretary of Defense Miller. Um, and he didn't know much about it. He basically said, uh, do you know anything about this Italy thing and what this is all about? And I informed him that the chief of staff had raised the issue with us in his office on December 29th, um, that we had looked into it a little bit. We had run the name that was provided to us by the chief of staff. I learned that that individual was in custody in Italy. 
Um, he had been arrested for a cyber offense of some sort in Italy. The allegation was that he had been exfiltrating data from his company. He was either an, an employee or a contractor of that company, and he was in custody. Um, that the whole thing was very, very murky at best, and the video was absurd. Um, but that we, we, the department, were not going to have anything to do with it. And um, DOD should make up its own mind as to what they're going to do. But I made it clear to him that I didn't think it was anything worth pursuing. She called the video absurd, and, and despite the absurdity of that conspiracy theory, uh, we learned that Mr. Meadows discussed it frequently in the White House. And Mr. Meadows didn't let the matter go. Uh, the request went from the Department of Justice to the Secretary of Defense, Christopher Miller, as you'll hear, Secretary Miller actually reached out to a high-ranking official based in Italy to follow up on this claim. I'll leave it there because they do go on a bit. But uh, isn't that interesting? Italian spy satellites changing votes. And uh, I guess at one point, the former president said that uh, the officials of the DOJ aren't following the Internet as well as he follows the Internet. And that's where he found the story. So criticize them for that. This is such a false narrative, this whole surprise that, oh, this is a conspiracy theory. Is if you know what a conspiracy theory is in this country? Right. That more guns make us safer. Ah, uh, yeah, that's true. That we have the best health care in the world, and that's why it costs a zillion dollars per person. Yeah, Those are true. conspiracy theories that this party has been totally, by. you know, welfare doesn't do anything, and everybody who takes it is uh, inherently bad, and everything they did was their fault, and there was no benefit to the country uh, for right. having some food right. security for the population. Yeah. The Republican Party is based almost entirely on conspiracy theory-level fantasy. Mm. This just happens to be one that was going to put these guys in prison. They're like, well, hold the phone. Yeah. Well... Uh yeah, this is one that's going to end everything. So I can't. Yeah. I just can't believe. I mean, it's one thing to say that you know, black women in the inner city have six children and they drive cats and they're welfare queens. That's totally fine. That's right. classic Reagan. Right, right, right. Too far. No, this is just the latest one that you finally got in bed with China, Israel, Russia, Brazil, Hungary, and now you're going to go to penitentiary. Yeah. And don't hold on. This is crazy. Well, you know, you've had 40 years to practice. So, yes, it's crazy. Well, I like what you're saying. You're absolutely right. They're full of BS and uh, it's coming home to roost. Now, that was the hearing today. I think it was pretty effective. I think it did a good job in laying out what happened at the DOJ. And now they're stopping because they know that you and I are going off for a couple of weeks. You know, we have things to do and we'll be doing some repeat episodes on July. And they didn't want to not have us cover things for them so they've well, clearly, uh, yeah so they've they've postponed the remaining heroes in uh, hearings until later in july which is amazing uh thank you uh, chairman so, thompson nice. for doing that yeah very nice of you to do that and uh, before we left i know you wanted to talk about thomas barack i don't know if you want to say anything about him oh i got a thread i need to put it on this one but um there's a major ruling out of uh i believe the eastern district of new york tom barrack of course is facing a number of charges in an indictment most serious being 18 U.S. Code 951, which is essentially acting as a spy for a foreign country, influencing the U.S. government. In this case, the foreign government is the United Arab Emirates, so Dubai and Abu Dhabi. And uh, the case against him and a couple of co-conspirators is pretty crushing. They filed a motion to dismiss that, of course, before a motion to dismiss is ruled upon, a lot of major discovery in the case is often delayed, right? Mm. Well... Judge Kogan in the Eastern District of New York ruled yesterday a 55-page order 
uh, where he, he completely denied the with some some bigger the motion to dismiss mm. and went through all of their arguments, which kind of composed all of what might be a defense for them. Just de- deconstructed all of their arguments about, well, you know, we didn't really have a contract with UAE necessarily. Well, you don't need one. Well, we were just trying, but the most important one was we were just trying to influence uh, Americans' perceptions of Trump's uh, decisions about the Middle East. And they, the judge they, was like, they said, yeah, that's. They said that, eh? Yeah. Basically, it's an affirmative defense. Like, yeah, well, we were just trying to change. You know, we were just getting some media Interesting PR work, coverage. you know? Yeah, spinning yeah, a little PR bit. work. And the judge said, yeah. Were you trying to change Americans' minds about uh, how we relate to other countries? Yeah. And by the way, this is not just, I mean, it's 951 is criminal failure to register as a foreign agent with the attorney general. It's technically, you know, part of the Foreign Agent Registration Act, but it is not a 22 U.S. code or 26 U.S. code, whenever the the more bureaucratic version of you did, you've been naughty and you didn't register and tell us this is the thing that's, you know, that is reserved for hostile spies. Mm, like real spies, you know, the real deal. Russian, like the guy, when the people they made the Americans TV show about, when those right. guys got deported in 2010, they caught nine, five, one charges. That's he might what be, Barrick is being yeah. with. He might be thinking, well, who time cares period. about Tom Barrick? But you know, Tom Barrick has been Donald Trump's friend since the 1990s. I mean, well, it's close. The, this is where we get to. It's what, what is the time period of acts that they're looking at? It's spring of 2016 mm. on through the administration mm. that he was working. Barrick was working for UAE before Trump got in there. And then he helped with the transition, of course, bought the old post office and made the Trump Internet Hotel. As a, was a, there was a little meeting in the Seychelles as well with the, with the MBZ. Yeah. Remember that? Yes, that was a big yeah, meeting. Set up, and the charges are very specific. Set up meetings, you know, with, and that was pre, you know, pre-election transition and administration. Yeah, so that all happened in 2017. Out. January 2017 was when all those meetings took place. A lot of them. That yeah. NBC sort of showed yeah. up and was like, "Hey, I'm here, unannounced." Didn't tell anyone that he's point, showing man. up. His point man was Tom Barrack, mm-hmm. and Tom Barrack's a U.S. citizen, and he failed to register. And who was he trying to influence? And who did he influence? Who actions based on his directions from MBZ is Trump. Well, a lot. Of, I mean, they basically were responsible for Iranian policy. They were in meetings for Iranian policy. They were meeting uh, around just a lot of things. I remember Flynn was showing up in a bunch of meetings as well. So it was, uh, you know, oh, Flynn yeah. and the entire concoction of uh, a mixology of, of foreign spies all involved in that early Trump transition. Right. So what does this mean now that this case is going forward and it's failed its motion to dismiss? Discovery starts in earnest. Mm. So Trump will be deposed about this too. It looks like Elaine Maxwell is also getting 30 years potentially. That was the recommendation from prosecutors today. uh, Add a zero. Yeah. She's going to be gone for a while. You know, uh, no one ever thought that was going to happen either. So uh, Thomas Barrack... You never know. Foreign spies do sometimes get caught for crimes and they do sometimes go to jail for those crimes for a very mm-hmm. long time, especially if they've attacked America and uh, tried to subvert the entire democracy. So that is what yeah. these guys are really were involved in. And that is why these courts are so active right now. Good for us. Good for them. And enjoy everyone's day. Um, tomorrow we've got the last uh, show of the season. It's the after show. We'll be back tomorrow night with all sorts of 
whatever weekend things we've got to talk about. And, uh, and then we'll be here, but only in tape for a few weeks. And, uh, every time there's a hearing, we'll show up again. Uh, and then we've got some serious thinking to do about how the next season gets put up, but we'll tell you all about that tomorrow night. Now it's eight o'clock. I don't know what time it is where you are in your classified location, Eric, but I bid you good night and, and stay safe. <laughs> good night, everybody. Narrative is made possible by viewers like you. Join today and support truly independent journalism at patreon.com forward slash narrative. That's patreon.com forward slash narrative.